I woke up this morning prompted by the song Cornerstone. And there was two lines in that song that I actually don't know what they mean. So I thought this morning I would go and research them. The song goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my ankle holds within the veil. Sweetest frame and veil. Now to me, when I think veil, I think when the earthquake came and the stone was rolled away and the veil was torn. I think, well, that doesn't make sense in context to this song. And when I think frame, I'm going to be really rural with you now. I don't know what I thought. Window frame, triangular frame, the way I'm built, I don't know. So I did some research. And actually, I, I, first thing I discovered is Hillsongs didn't write that song. But they wrote most of it. They edited it. It's a hundred-year-old hymn. And, uh, and I went back and looked at what the hymn meant. I'm guessing they would have done too when they put the uh, guitar over the top. But actually, the, the translation I've chosen to, to understand is that I dare not trust the sweetest frame can mean whatever you want it to mean. Where do you put your trust that isn't in Jesus? Your job, your career, a relationship, your bank balance, your pension, your partner, it can be absolutely at yourself, your own skills and ability, your own understanding. It can be whatever you choose it to be because the frame is what you lean upon. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I will trust in Jesus' name. My anchor, that's Jesus, I got that bit, holds within the veil. When Jesus died, he went to the other side of the veil. He's my anchor and he's already on the other side. My anchor holds within the veil. I have access to the Father because Jesus came and died for me. I can't wait. I don't know who's leading worship this week. I think it's you, Keith, next week. <coughs> hint, hint. I can't wait to sing that song again because it is going to hold whole new meaning to me. You know, we carry on our series in Acts and uh, I'm picking up Acts 18, 19, and 20 which is the third missionary journey of Paul. Now, if you're familiar with Acts, or even if you're not, Acts gets a little bit boring around that kind of stage because he's been on a missionary journey and it's all very exciting and there's a big church bust up and we heard about that a couple of weeks ago. Then he goes on this amazingly, incredibly exciting journey that Barbara told us about last week. He didn't know where he was going. Was he going to get the right direction? Was he going to be in the right place? Yes. And actually, when you hit Acts 18, 19... It's just another journey. I mean, how many journeys is this going to go on? It's going to get a bit samey after a while, right? And actually, I can feel guilty of that. When I read through some of these stories, I go, well, huh, uh huh. He went back to this place, and then he went to this place, and he went back to this place. But actually, when you get into Acts 19 and 20, you realise that these chapters are not boring at all. Actually, we begin to see a real part of Paul's character in Acts 18, 19, and 20. Do you know the first thing I choose to see is that whether he saw things that were exciting happening or not, he persisted regardless. He kept pressing on. When I first came to Basildon and met you guys, what a blessed day that was. I really, it was almost a year ago. How crazy is that that I came down to visit? And I went for dinner with almost everybody, and if I haven't yet, you'll soon be invited around, don't worry. Um, 
And I heard lots of stories of, we've done this, and we've tried this, and we've been here, and we've done that. And some people said, that's amazing. Some people said, well, it hasn't worked, and it's a bit frustrating. Do you know the thing I took from that as the, as the outsider coming in was, wow, what a diligent bunch of people. What an amazing church that you hadn't given up hope because your hope was in Jesus. And you continue to work when you were only seeing the small victories. One person being saved, two people being saved. The angels were dancing in heaven and I'm dancing with them. They earned small victories. But when we read about the three thousands and the five thousands being saved in one day and the tongues of fire coming down from heaven, we could all be excused for kind of putting them on a scale, right? The angels still celebrated in heaven. The Lord spoke to Paul in Acts 18, 9 and 10. He said, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Well, that's a pretty good start to an instruction. It goes on to say, and isn't that the case? We always focus on what's, where's the core of the message? What's the important bit? What's the juicy bit? Well, actually, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent is a, a really good way to start an instruction, to start a vision. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Well, I don't know about you, if I read that, I think, I wasn't expecting anyone to attack me. I don't know, where does that come from? Well, this is Paul, remember, he's already been attacked. He's going to get attacked a few more times too. In fact, later on in the verses, as he says, he knows that the Holy Spirit in every city he goes to tells him he's going to suffer pain and persecution, attack and beatings. But the Lord says, do not be afraid. Isn't there another story that we're going to talk about really soon that has that same sentence? It's a couple of weeks time when we go through Advent, right? The angel of the Lord appeared to Mary. Do not be afraid. Do you notice that? Angels tend to start off with, do not be afraid. Why? Because they're really scary. If I, if I met an angel, I think I would be really scared. So I'd like the first thing the angel said to me, do not be afraid. Not come to, not come to take you, not come to kill you, come to help you, I'm with you. But you know, these were persecutions as he went around different cities the first thing that happened is his peers the people that he traveled with and to he always went have you seen the pattern of paul whenever he visited somewhere he always visited the jews first he gave the jews the message first they were god's chosen people he gave them the first choice and just like jesus when he said i came first to give you the message but because you've rejected me i'm going to go and give it to them too Paul had the same pattern. He spoke to the Jews first, and then he went on to the Gentiles. Can you imagine that feeling of rejection amongst your own peers? I can't imagine. It's going to come across wrong. I can't imagine going to a church and preaching something and being chased out the front door and going, oh, what you just preached was rubbish. Get out, we hate you, you're horrible. And I think, hang on, I thought you guys were Christians. What are you doing chasing me out of the church? Well, this is what Paul must have felt, because remember, just like Jesus, Paul was a Jew. And he's going to see his people with the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. He's going with us. He is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. So his peers, the ones that have been waiting with him, and they rejected him. You know, Jesus tells us about that too, doesn't he? He tells us about rejection. He tells us about persecution. He tells us about lies and deceit. And it was often when I was preparing this, this particular day that I couldn't get beyond this verse. And I'm supposed to be preaching on Acts 18, 19, and 20. I wasn't reading Acts 18, 19, and 20. I was reading Matthew 24. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. He's going he's to pull this in somehow. He's going to make this make sense to me. I didn't make sense at the time. But in Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered his disciples had asked him some questions. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. I can live with that. I know that. False prophets will come. We preach on that often. Claiming that I am the Messiah. And will. How sad. Will deceive many. That means in our body of brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not talking about a little word. I'm talking bigger than that. In our family of brothers and sisters in Christ, some of those people will be deceived by the false messenger. I pray that that's not me. And I pray that that's none of you. I mean that from the bottom. I love you all dearly. Don't be deceived. Because people will come and people will try and deceive you. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. It doesn't say Brexit, does it? Wars. Is, is politics now the modern day warfare? Do we need tanks and guns anymore? Or is it economics, strategies and laws? Do they do battle in the, what do they call them? I'm not very political. But you know when they go and stand in the big kind of room and they all shout at each other and call each other idiots? Is that where we have wars now? I'm not talking about our own government, I'm talking about in Europe or across the world, the United Nations. There are wars, we shared about this last week. We British, or we that live in Britain, are quite fortunate, aren't we? That we're at war, did you know that? I should have maybe done a bit more research than this, but we're at war now. Our nation is at war, but it's a war on foreign soil. All of our wars are on foreign soil. So I wake up of a Monday morning feeling actually quite safe compared to being in war-torn Syria. I wonder if we went and saw Nadine, who would come in and out of Syria often. He knows he's in war. Well, we're over there, aren't we? Aren't we? Am I right? I'm not, again, not very political. Don't want to misstate things. Iraq, a war on foreign soil. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are beginning of birth pains. It's an odd one to preach this. 
then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Remember in the literal, he's talking to his disciples. This is not me speaking to Living Word Community Church on a Sunday morning, okay? Don't take the literal translation from this. Then you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I want to translate that. <clears throat> Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your hope in Jesus. The world is falling apart. Didn't start last May. The world was falling apart long before that. The world isn't just falling apart because of Brexit. The world was falling apart long before that and will continue to fall apart until these days. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in the European Union. Our hope is in Jesus. This time last year, the elders and wives of this church went to a conference at Hothop Hall and a very good friend from America had been stopped. Was it last year or the year before? I forget. It was when Donald Trump had first been voted in. And he's an American, he married a British girl. And he started off by saying, I cannot believe the way my, me and my wife have been greeted into the UK. I mean, this was like the day after the election. And he started off by saying, people have come up to me and my wife and gone, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your world must be coming to an end. And he just went, Jesus is still on his throne. Yes. Don't believe all the hype. Yeah, there's going to be stuff out there that we don't like. Okay, I'm not even going to tell you which me and Tim were talking about this yesterday. I ain't going to tell you which way I voted. Okay? But what I'll tell you is we're going to be okay. I don't care which way you voted either. And please don't tell me because I hate that conversation. <laughs> I understood it was a banned word and no suddenly we've kept on using it today. But let's not get political. Let's get hopeful. My hope is in Jesus. Jesus folded his napkin. He didn't scrunch it up. Jesus is coming back. Yes. We are to expect nation against nation. Whether it looks like World War I, I hope not. Whether it looks like political arguments, sanctions, trade agreements. Well, I hope not either. <laughs> but it could, okay? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteous death. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When your darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. We are talking about Acts, we're not talking about Matthew. But this is the world that Paul faced. As Paul was going on his journeys, he would have known these things. He learned the teachings of Jesus. He learned them better than Apollos. He wasn't a, a, a first-hand disciple, but he met Jesus walking on the road. And he studied and he studied and he learned and he studied. And he had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus from the day he met him. 
So his revelation of this stuff is real, it's true. But he also lived it. So when I'm saying to you this may not be a literal translation for the living word this Sunday morning, when Paul heard this, this was a literal translation of what he was to expect. So when he went from nation to nation, he went in the fear of I could be killed. I could be imprisoned. This could be the end. But every time he went, as Barbara said last week, sometimes he was told not to enter a country and he didn't. All the way through the story, Paul is told not to go to certain places. Hold off from going into a temple or a synagogue. There was one of those. There was a big uproar in the synagogue. And all the people came and said, don't go. And he listened and he didn't go. He knew though, again, sort of mirrors the Jesus story, doesn't it? He knew that at the end, there would be a time where someone would say, but don't go. And he would say, but I have to. isn't it for a Sunday morning sorry not at all have you ever heard that phrase sorry not sorry sorry not sorry I'm not sorry really it's deep I'm sorry for the depth of it I'm not sorry for the message because it's true do you know as we read on in Acts 18 it starts to talk about some of the other problems it would be so easy for us to focus on the persecution the rejection here's one for you that we might resonate in today in chapter 19 sorry 1923 about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way a silversmith of all people named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis bought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there he called them all together along with the workers in related trades and said you know my friends that we receive a good income from this business and you see and hear how this fellow Paul, hang on, no, no, business and church doesn't mix, does it? We, how often? Church is not a business. And you can't do business like a church, okay? These are separate things. So why is a businessman getting involved all up in Paul's business? This fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And in particular, the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name. Good name. But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. I don't long the day that I worship a god that I have to defend. Do you? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, but don't pick on him. Because you might prove he's not real. Leave him alone. I look after my God. No. My hope is in Jesus. He won. Do you know, I'm not even going to try and explain the economy that says to defeat all evil in the world, I have this master plan. I'm going to sell you and send you a giant man with muscles like Vladimir. And he's going to be, no, no, no. I'm going to send you a baby like Aurelia. Hilaria. I was getting that the wrong way around, sorry. Hilaria. I'm going to send you a little squishy ball of pink skin. Because you'll be born in a manger. And he's going to defeat death and sin and hell. 
a little squidgy ball of pink skin for my champion, Jesus. He won. Do you know that? He won. It's already finished. He won my little pink ball of squidgy skin that we're going to celebrate like mad for these next five weeks, aren't we? Not the big fat guy with the red hat, don't get confused, okay? We like him too. Do you know some of the other things that they came up against was business and greed and the desire for wealth. Do you think that as a church today in the Christian faith that we come up against anybody out there that disagrees with anything in here for money? I mean, surely not. No. No. I'm sure the drug dealers aren't bothered about what we're doing at all, are they? Not sure the marketing companies are much better, if I'm honest. They don't like our message. The message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, the message of selflessness and service, the message of charity and generosity are countercultural to 2018. 2018 Britain. I'm going to tie the whole world with the same brush. I'm British, I can say it about Britain. It's countercultural. There are people out there that don't like our message because of money. Our battle is not against men. It's against powers and principalities. Money is a power. There is a spirit over money. It's why you feel greedy. It's why you don't want to give. I, I love to give. So why is it that every time I give, I have to make a choice? If I love to do it so much, I wouldn't have to think about it, would I? I have to make a choice to give. I'm a lover of people. I travel the world, I help orphanages. Uh, I deal with homeless people on the street and everything in between. I try to encourage people. I try to help people. I try to raise people up. Before I do any of that, I have to choose to do it. Love is a choice. Have you ever heard that? I know somebody preaches a really good sermon on love as a choice. Is it love as a verb? I'm not very good at English either. I can't remember. Is that right? It's a choice. Love is a verb. It's a choice. You choose to love people. Well, there are people out there that are going to choose the opposite. They're going to choose money over Jesus. Why don't we stand on the street corner and say, come to my church, we only take 10% of your money. Don't think that would be the best evangelical strategy, if I'm honest. It's not true, it's a bit heretical too, but it wouldn't be very good, would it? Why? Because we, we worship money. Some of us worship football too, football players, teams. Wouldn't it be great if we got 20,000 people in a stadium, all chanting Jesus' name, singing songs together in unison, putting all of our money on the pot as we went in for the good of the players? We do, don't we? <laughs> but it's a choice just like it's a choice to give my life to Jesus I find my hope in Jesus for me he's the only answer but there are people out there it is not as simple as Jesus and not Jesus there is Jesus and then there are all these other powers and principalities we know that if we actually took this by the literal there is the goddess Artemis what she was she was a rock she was a meteorite fell out of the sky landed in the middle of this city and they went huh 
I'm not going to describe it fully, read up on it, it'll make you laugh, okay? But there's a, there's a rock, and they see an image of a woman, and they go, well, this must be my goddess. I do not long for the day that I worship a rock that fell out of the sky, or a crisp that looked like Jesus. You see that? You often see that? I'm not going to worship a crisp that looks like Jesus. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm not going to worship a rock that fell out of the sky. Do you know some of the other things he came up against? <clears throat> this might cut a bit close to the bone, not for us, but for the people around us. Partial revelation. When he met with Apollos, who was a great man, he was a great preacher, loved Jesus, heard all about Jesus, didn't hear Jesus died and sent the Holy Spirit. Because he didn't know that, he couldn't preach that. So loads of people were becoming converted to the Christian faith with a partial revelation. And when Paul bumped into them, and when Aquila and Priscilla bumped into them, they went, aha, you're wrong, we're right. <laughs> you can't join our club because you've only got a partial revelation. No, they invited them to dinner. And they said, hey, you are really lovely people. And isn't it great that you love Jesus too? But do you know there's something really special that you're missing out on too? There was no judgment or condemnation in that meeting. There was a moment of sharing the revelation that we have. I can think of my fellow believers that need to have a bit of the revelation that I've got. Do you know what? I have some brothers and sisters. I want some of the revelation they've had. I'm not still here going, I've got it all, well, I am. In this room, I will put my hand, I am imperfect. I'm flawed, I'm broken. I've hurt people and I've been hurt. And there are people here whose revelation I want. The sad truth is there are people here that still need the revelation that I have. I'm on a journey, so are they. Let's not judge them, let's encourage them. We're going to come up against fake prophets. We kind of covered that already. Do you know, as we come to the end of this stuff, one of the most famous verses that I, I love this verse, and he mentions it a little bit later on as well in his, in his own story. But this is the beginning. So it's the end of today, but it's the beginning of where Paul goes. This is now I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of the grace, of God's grace. Tyler, it's different in different versions. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Basildon, Wickford, Billericay, Lusaka. Lusaka is the capital of Zambia, by the way. Ulaanbaatar. I said that right? That's the capital of Mongolia. I'm going to Goa. Oh, I love Goa. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing. I share this with you guys. This is Ricky. I consider my life worth nothing to me. I made that declaration to my brothers and sisters this morning. I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It doesn't say to the law. It doesn't say to my theology. It doesn't say to my flavour of church. It says to God's grace. Before you get into... Do you want to become a Christian but be warned if you do, you might have to change? Leave that for one side. Leave that for Jesus. Leave that for the Holy Spirit. There's a whole generation in this country that have not heard the grace of Jesus. You're broken. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus loves you. Because beyond care, he accepts you. He doesn't care that you're broken. He cares for you. He loves you. I don't care what colour you are. I don't care how many legs you've got. I don't care if you live in a mansion or on the street. I don't care if you're a teacher or a politician. The inclination there is one that is a very noble one and one is not okay. I don't care. Neither does Jesus. I don't care about your lifestyle choices. I don't care if you are the most generous person or the most scroogiest person. See, another Christmas reference. Okay, the most scroogiest person I've ever met. Jesus loves you. He's the anchor on the other side of the veil. He's your hope. Share that hope. A couple of weeks back, I asked you what you might need to walk away from. I appreciate that probably came across as a strong question, but it was important. Still is. No one ever actually came and answered that. I didn't expect them to. But you answered it in your own heart. You knew what was in your life that was getting in your way. You knew what was in your heart that was stopping you. Well, here's the why. Now I'm asking you, what's in your life, your mindset, your thinking, that is stopping you from being the disciple of Jesus you are called to be and sharing the gospel? I'll write that down. We'll get Chrissy to email it out because you like to do that, okay? If you haven't got a pen and paper with you. Is it the things we've mentioned? Is it peers, friends, people around you? Is it money? Is it a false idol? Is it false teaching? Is it a false prophet? If it's a false prophet, I actually recommend you come and speak to one of the elders or wives and actually say, I'm a bit concerned that maybe somebody said something to me. Allow us to speak into that situation and help you and love you with that. Now I'm asking, what is in your life, your mindset, your thinking that is stopping you from being the disciple of Jesus that you are called to be and sharing the gospel? In John 14, Jesus is quoted, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things. It's probably the thing I will quote most other than Matthew 28. Because I believe when you pray for the sick, you do not pray, Heavenly Father, please heal this person. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus said, get up and walk. Jesus said, pick up your mat and leave. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, you are healed. Different people might have a different theology. I'm not going to be offended on that. This is my belief. Jesus said whoever
whoever believes will do the works I have been doing. Banging. And even greater things. Didn't Jesus raise somebody from the dead? Not done that on a Sunday morning for a while, have I? My lifelong ambition now, actually. I would really love to raise somebody from the dead. And I do mean I would love to raise somebody from the dead. Because I believe that Jesus has given me the power to do that. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in me to do that. Glory be to him. I ain't going to go get on the front page of all the newspapers and go, Ooh, look how amazing Ricky is. Pay 50 bucks to come to my healing sessions. No. Glory be to God. But I believe he's given us the power to do that. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. And I know there are different theologies. This is, for me, a Bible verse that you can read literally. And I know that there are people that don't believe that. I'm not going to get in a fight with you. Don't care. I believe it. I will do anything you ask in my name. Jesus, I thank you for the, the hope that we have in you. Jesus, I made that declaration for myself again. That my life means nothing to me. But is for serving you. My only desire is that you let me run the race. And get to the finish of wherever it is you want me to finish. Lord, as a church, we stand united and say we want to share the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ in this broken and twisted and dirty world that we live. We keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Our hope is in you. You might need to empower us today. Wash over this church with your Holy Spirit. Highlight to us the things that we might need to move or move away from. Give us the strength to do those things, to break those mindsets, to forgive. Do you know the hardest thing to forgive is yourself? Maybe there's something you need to forgive in yourself. If Jesus forgave you, you can forgive you. It's allowed, it's okay. Let it go. Jesus, come and highlight those things in us. Empower us. Show us this week the opportunities where we can talk Jesus. What a great series. We want to talk Jesus. We want our friends, our mothers, our fathers, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbours, our colleagues, our enemies, our foreigners, our politicians, our strangers on the street. We want them all to hear your name. We want them all to be saved. Jesus, we love you. We surrender all to you again. In Jesus' name, amen.